Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. On today's episode, we are excited to welcome Rally Keegan. Now, Rally grew up around music, but it was more of the jazz variety, playing trombone in band. He actually got really good and could have went to university on a scholarship, but decided to follow the sports route and went and played football instead. Now, after he graduated, he started working a day job, but after a year of that, he realized that music was his passion, music was his dream, and he needed to follow a career in music. In 2017, he sold his house and made the move to Nashville, and he's been chasing a career ever since, steadily building as an independent artist. We had a great time talking about the entire journey, as well as his new EP, The Tale of Seven Cities. So please enjoy our conversation with Rally Keegan. And I know you are an open book, and for people who know you already, they do know quite a bit of your journey because you do talk about it quite a bit. And so I want to dive in a little more to maybe the parts that you haven't talked so much about that have been a fun part to this journey. But before we get there, why don't you just sort of give me a snapshot of those first couple of months of your life? Sure. Yeah. So very beginning, I was born a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my birth, I, I was adopted when I was four days old. My birth mom had me while she was in prison. And, um, you know, at, at the time, obviously I didn't know anything about it, but later I found out that it was a really tough decision for her to give me up. But at the same time, you know, she was in prison. So, um, and she wanted a better life for me. So it's, it's one of those interesting things. There's actually, I found out recently, by the way, this is random, but there's a lot of controversy over celebrating adoption, even in the adoption community, right. which to me is pretty, pretty interesting because like, I'm so grateful that she did that because I've had such a good life and so many opportunities that I wouldn't have had. Like I had a, you know, I had a, a brother, a half brother, her other son who was in the, in and out of the foster care system. So, you know, things, things can go different ways for different people. And I understand like, if you've had a horrible experience, how you could maybe feel a certain type of way towards it. But for me, it's like, I can only tell you what's happened to me and what a redemptive and awesome life I've, I've had since then. So, you know, my parents got me when I was four days old and we lived in Cincinnati in this tiny, not, not to piggyback off that, but in this tiny house. And then they, they ended up moving into like a three bedroom, three bath. But uh, yeah, my parent, my dad was a bus driver. Mom was a nurse. Um, really kind of middle-class working folks. And I mean, I feel like they instilled that into us kind of early. So yeah, that's first few months. Right. And within the celebration of adoption, like you talk about, 
How important was it for you on this journey to know that, to know you were adopted rather than maybe in your later teens, finding that out and maybe having to struggle with it? Do you think you would have had a different path if that would have been held back from you? Oh, man, I probably maybe um, I don't know how I would have um, dealt with the news that there was a secret kept for me for so long that was so vital to who I was. Um, and, and I, man, I don't know, like, that's where I feel like people start thinking I'm a mistake because something's obviously gone wrong to where they're not telling me what's happened, where, you know, um, I, I personally don't believe anything happens by accident. So, um, I think it might have wrecked me, man. It might have wrecked me because I don't know how I would have would have taken that knowing that basically my whole life was a secret. And on the nature nurture side, I find this interesting because you've talked about on social media how you're a bit of a quirky guy. You have your quirks. And so have you ever sort of dived deep into what was instilled with you from your parents and what you maybe picked up from your birth mom and from her family that maybe wasn't taught to you, but isn't within you? Man, that is a, that is a crazy question. Cause, um, I think it's 100% both. I, I really do. I really do think that because after meeting my birth mom, there are things that are undeniable, even in our personalities, like she, you know, to me, you know, she called herself the black sheep of that family. Basically what she meant by that was she kind of um, did things her way. Uh, she marched to the beat of her own drum. And I, if anyone, anyone who really knows me is like, oh my gosh, that is, that's Raleigh. Because I mean, that is, I mean, even look at what I'm doing. Look yeah. at what I'm doing for a career that like you don't, I don't know. Normal people don't do that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, so I, I've always felt like I've marched the beat of my own drum. And that's part of my personality, too, that I talk about some is um, I don't know if you're into the Enneagram test, but on I've the heard Enneagram, it. I haven't done it yet, though. I'm a four, which basically means like that I value being different and doing things your own way, um, which is a lot of artists are for. But right. Um, so and it's and it's but it's really interesting too, like on the on the nurturing side like there's there's parts about me in that are from my dad and from my mom who raised me and like it, it really bothers me to spend money that wasn't in my genes you know what i'm saying like right it, yeah it, you know to to really to waste money um my they always instilled in me to like sacrifice now to to gain later that right. that's one thing i haven't talked about a lot, but my, my parents were always big into that. I mean, dude, they paid off their house. We probably didn't have, we probably lived off canned goods for like years and years and years, but they paid off their house in like eight or 10 years. And dad was a bus driver. Mom was a nurse. It's not like we're talking high rollers here. We're yeah. talking about people who like valued sacrifice and would do anything for me and my brother, including like, I talk about this a lot, but like find a free piano eight hours away from home, go, 
go get it go pick it up in a minivan like that's ridiculous dude and that's true <laughs> let's dive into that one because i wanted to talk about that and sort of the beginning of your love of music now that piano i heard your parents talk about a letter to santa in kindergarten that you wrote asking for a piano and that kind of turned into them getting you a piano but you always mentioned it was a free piano but i heard them talk about the fact that your grandparents i think had bought a cabin and it was fully furnished and the piano was within that and when your grandma passed away she wanted you to have that piano now if that story is correct what does that mean? Does that give the piano a bit more meaning than if it was just some free piano from somewhere? Sure. Um, I guess I should probably have clarified that. I think it was a, it was from my family, but it was from like a different house that was yeah. moved. <clears throat> right. Um, and it, I think it, I think it does mean a lot. My um, grandfather, who we we always used to go to Michigan for, um, he he had like a cabin up there. We would go there and go on the pontoon boat. So I've got a ton of memories of that place. Um, no, so I would, and, and he died when I was pretty young. So I didn't have like a whole lot of time with, with my grandfather or grandma. I barely remember my grandma at all. She died of uh, cancer pretty early. Um, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it means a lot that, I, I mean, dude, like I'm the only person in the family that can play that thing. Like, and I've got a huge family. And how did you fit it in the minivan? after all dude you your your guess is as good as mine it's not huge um i just remember we ha we had a minivan it was a um a sienna um mp3 or mazda i can't remember some one of those um and and i sat in the far back because i remember i remember hitting the keys all the way home and pissing my parents off oh really <laughs> yeah and my brother doing the same and um it was like it started out of tune and it remained out of tune the whole time. The tuner people couldn't fix it. So really? we just had, yeah. And so what does that mean now when you come home to your parents and you're still able to play that? Does it bring back those memories of when you first started and when that love of music first kicked in for you? Yeah, uh, it does because um, I'm always big on like nostalgia. When I go back and I um, like, even like if I go back to college, um, the smells, the sights, the sounds like bring evoke emotion for me. I think for most people too. And, and home is certainly like that. Cause I don't get to go back as much anymore. So when I do, it always feels kind of weighty because it's just, you forget that that life existed. Right. Yeah. Um, when you're just going through the grind of Nashville, you don't think much about that's why it's so great to get out of to get out of here and just to live and be a normal person for a little bit and just take a break from the grind. And but um, no, I, I think it's it is it really is that piano is where my musical ability was basically formed and then really developed, too, because. You can ask my parents, like I would spend hours when I, when I got good enough to where I enjoyed what I was playing, I would spend hours a day just hammering out on that thing. And there was a piano talking about pianos. I think you mentioned you wrote wandering eyes on it and you were driving it out to a photo shoot and it fell off the truck and you had a photo of it, this old busted piano out in the woods uh, for a photo shoot. Now, what piano was that? Do you remember that? Okay, so that one was from a stranger. Oh, okay. Who, 
who I did get that off Craigslist. We lifted it. Dude, we had no idea. Thank God we were, we, you know, we, we played football in college and we're strong because that thing was literally like 800 pounds. So it took like three or four of us to lift it up onto this truck. And dude, I don't know how we didn't think to strap that thing down. Like who does that? Like thinking on that now, that is one of the stupidest things I've ever done. Um, I didn't strap it down. We took one turn and it falls out of the truck, completely busts up the front of it. And then, um, dude, it, we were using it. What we were using it for was a photo shoot out in the middle of the woods. We were going to take the truck out in the middle of the woods, drop, drop the piano and, uh, take photos. Right. And it was, it was strange because, um, the busted up piano made it look cooler. So we were like, let's just do it. I mean, I'm never going to play this again. And then, um, uh, we couldn't get it out of there. <laughs> and, and, and an art, a local artist, um, repurposed it and it made the news and stuff like hundreds of people were like coming to take pictures with this random piano in the woods and no one knew where it was from. And then, and then we confessed. <laughs> That's hilarious. And so let's talk about the beginnings of your musical career. And let's talk about knock, knock, bang on the door. Does that bring back any memories? Yes. That is the worst song maybe that I've ever been a part of. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and it's still embarrassing. That was on a pod. I feel like that was on a podcast, right? Um, it was, yeah. So it's the Queen City Kids, I believe, oh, was one of your first bands. I don't know if it was your first band because I heard you talk about also. I think your first band you played the drums in. So maybe if that's a different band, we can talk about that in a sec. But let's talk about the Queen City Kids, your oh, rap my. phase, and what was. Oh. Gosh, dude. So a lot of people don't know this. I don't talk about this a lot because it's, you know, it's, it, it feels embarrassing, but I was the, uh, I was the singer of a rap group called the Queen City Kids. And, um, it was with my friend Graham and, and man, our music was bad. He would even tell you that too. Our music was not good. And, um, it weirdly like, dude, we would, we would tour around Ohio, like oh, colleges. Yeah and like hundreds of people would show up and and i think like there was other musicians in cincinnati back where, where we were from that were super pissed off at that because we were terrible dude and like <laughs> tons of people would come to these shows <clears throat> and these were like legit musicians like this dude who i i'm thinking of who was mad that we were popular he like went to berkeley for music and no one goes to his show. you know what i'm saying like, right yeah it's like ridiculous so uh yeah that well, that was crazy, man. I, I can remember we would we would go to OU, which is Ohio University, Ohio State, up to Cleveland. And it was wild. I couldn't. It, so random, man. And then that actually wasn't my first band. My first one. Um, I don't even know the name of it, but but I was the drummer, some keyboard player, some and I would play trombone on it, too. And we would do like John Mayer covers and we would do um it was also really bad <laughs> <laughs> and so when did you start singing and performing because you like you mentioned you play the trombone you were in the jazz band in high school and you were doing quite well with that when did you start singing and finding your voice and performing out and wanting to be more the center of attention 
Sure. Um, so I was, uh, I bought my very first CD, which was Continuum by John Mayer. And I, um, I would sing in my car and in my shower. And I, I don't know if that, I don't know if there's a correlation between singing and trombone. I'm sure somebody out there knows, but um, it was kind of a natural fit to move over. Like I, I noticed I could sing in tune and I think that had something to do with playing like a brass instrument or whatever, but okay. um, that I listened to that record for like two years straight. I had one record. So, um, and um, I didn't start actually singing out until I would like, my friends would be in the car too and hear me singing with it and would right. be like you're pretty you're pretty good and i'd be like i don't know i don't know about that like and uh it took a, it took a while for me to muster up the courage to actually sing in front of people and then dude i just was like hooked like in college i would all the girls would come to the dorms and like we'd set up the keyboard and i just i would just like try to get the girls going you know what i mean like, right yeah no oh, man, I was a tool. Anyways, um, yeah, so that's kind of where it where it started, at least singing wise. And it was interesting because learning to sing from basically John Mayer is interesting because he's not technically trained. So right. I had to, you know, kind of find my own style from from and it's developed a lot over the years. So and when did it become a thing within your mind because you played trombone very well. You could have gone to school for that, but you decided to go to school to play football rather. So when did that thought of doing music as a career really kick in? Was that not until after you left school and started to work a day job? Is that when it kicked in for you? Yeah. I think what's interesting is um, around Nashville, like the idea of going into the music industry is kind of normal. Like you, the parents around here can kind of see a way forward. Right. G growing up in the Midwest, dude, like that was just a crazy idea. Like the idea that you could make a living in music was just so foreign from what my parents were and what all my friends were and just the culture there. So I think for a long time, it was always in, it was always in my heart, but for the long time, it was just like, well, that's not gonna, that's not a real thing. Right. Like you can dream, like everybody dreams, but like, that's not gonna happen. And, um, during college, I, um, I don't know, I, I don't know how this happened, but I just kept, I just kept writing and it was really not good stuff, but there was something therapeutic in it for me that, even at the time, like after, after a long day of football practice or whatever, I would go to the piano and like emotionally let it out. And that's one thing that music has always done for me. Even if it was, even if the lyrics didn't make any sense at all, I would get it out. Right. Um, and then, so, you know, I got through college was going to be, I was, I was going to be a, a physical therapist, but chemistry dude i was like screw this i'm out <laughs> um yeah so got out of college uh personal not personal training exercise science degree and was a personal trainer for a year or so and that's when basically i started i met my wife 
now she, we were just, we were just friends and uh, we started dating and she introduced me to um, Zach Brown band. Yeah. And there was something about um, uncaged their album uncaged. Like, I guess the way for me to put it is like, it was classic, but country at the same time. What I mean is um, it had hints of like the Eagles, um, so many of the like Fleetwood Mac, like tons of these bands who will never not be popular because their music is so, um, you know, if you, there, I know six-year-olds that know every word to don't stop believing. That's ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. if, you, if your music has lasted that long, there's something that's happened. So that, that was always attractive to me growing up because my dad, had me listening to like Billy Joel and the Eagles and Steely Dan and <clears throat> guys like that, James Taylor. And um, there was something classic about their music. And so I feel like Zach Brown band's music was um, reminiscent of that to me, but right. also in a way that, that like the way they would paint basically country narratives to me was so attractive. I was like, that's a world I want to be in. And um, so that's kind of where I became obsessed with, with the idea of doing country music. And I started writing songs on my lunch break as a personal trainer, uh, got married. Um, this is a weird, also, this is a crazy thing to drop on your like father-in-law and mother-in-law <laughs> because like when you start out, when you start out, they think you're going to be one thing. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, I'm quitting everything. We're selling our house and we're paying for my first record. So <laughs> that was like, uh, and they stuck with me too. Like they've been really supportive. So kudos to them, but I'm sure <laughs> at some points they were like, what did our daughter do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And tell me about Greg Finger. The Greg Finger Band. When did this, what stage was this in? Was this before you left personal training or during, or when was that stage? That was during, uh, that was like during that time as I was transitioning. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, I had a buddy named Duke and a buddy named Austin and a buddy named Zach. And we would, we toured, we toured, man. We would, well, we didn't would go you get a deal for, What's that? Didn't you get some sort of deal with the band uh, along the way? Yep. Um, it was with this group called this label, small independent label called uh, Symbiosis. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, nothing, nothing big time by any means, but that was like my first tour, you know, like real tour where we like went to like North Dakota. My gosh, that was, that was rough, but <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, that's awesome. And so, the album that you produced after you sold your house was that roll on by no that was um one of these days so roll okay. on by roll on by was were just demos oh, okay. and um they're not i don't even think they're available online anymore no i um, couldn't find them yeah so did that um and that actually you know a lot of people are mad that that isn't online anymore but I had just gotten so much better in the time between roll on by and this record that it was just like, I don't even know if that's me anymore. So, right. Um, anyways. Yeah. Roll on by was first. And those were demos, man. And that like basically helped me really grow an online presence. Um, 
which, yeah, there's actually this song called Kentucky Queen. And um, people still ask for that freaking song. And it's like, it's, it's some of the most juvenile lyrics, just absolutely like, oh, <laughs> uh, anyways, but people loved it. Right. It's, yeah. And so what is that journey like as you go from album to album? And obviously you're going to grow as an artist from album to album. So what is it like when you look back? on your past albums and now to where you are today, is there sometimes a feeling of, oh, I just want that album to go away? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it, all of them for where I was at the time. I'll say that I put, I have one, one thing that stayed constant for me is I've always been in it for the music and I've always put a hundred percent and didn't cut any corners and wasn't just like hey that's pretty good let's just put that out like I at the time for all of this stuff like I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna every little detail I'm gonna comb over and and make sure it's exactly how I want it so right. I'm proud of it in that in that sense but like man I've come a long way so it's like you know from that first stuff you you know I was just green I, in the industry we call it green where you're just inexperienced and yeah I mean, that was back when um, I had no writing experience. I was, it was just all me by myself. I had never co-written and I'd never, um, though I do both now. I just do by myself now a lot and co-write still. But um, yeah, man, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> and with the co-writing, when you moved to Nashville and you started diving into that world, what was the process like for you? Did you think you were a good songwriter before that, like within that time of your life? And was it a real eye opener when you started to get into rooms with other writers in Nashville? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think everyone thinks they're good. And then they move to town and realize they suck. Right. And and um, that happened to me, certainly. And, and I became very insecure about my own abilities to write for a long time. Um, because I was around people I, specifically like my second co-write in town second was with Casey Bethard, who has written some of the most monstrous hits that Eric Church has had. And he wrote, don't blank for Kenny Chesney. And I really realized how far I had to go after writing with him, because the first time we ever wrote, he, um, he left to go to Virginia's market and, um, he came back 30 minutes later and the song was done. And all I contributed was the idea of the song and it was finished and it was flawless. Right. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I, how do, how he's like, I've been doing it for 25 years, man. And, yeah. and you, and you realize like, you know, that first, like, I don't know. It, that's some of the best advice anyone ever gave me is just write bad songs because like you write your way out of them and you don't even realize you're doing it. right. Just, the, just continuing to do it. You, um, I, I, I don't know. That's and, and just not putting a lot of pressure on each song. Like every song doesn't have to be a masterpiece. Cause like, if you talk to anybody who's super experienced, you can't contrive a master. You can't contrive a masterpiece. So yeah. you can't fake it. You can't, it just happens. That transition was, was rough. And then you start to kind of learn what you do as a writer. 
and what you want to say as an artist. And that just, man, that just takes time. You can't, you can't skip that phase no matter, you know, and oftentimes, like, for example, when I first moved to town, um, I played one show and like three labels had me come in the next day. I had one show and I'm so glad I didn't get signed then because I had no idea who I was. Um, we would have just put out a song that we thought would work as opposed to something that's a real expression of me. Right. Just because I was young and green and didn't know any better. So that's kind of my journey with the writing stuff. It, it takes time. Yeah. And so within the music industry now with TikTok and with reality series and with these young artists wanting to blow up quickly, do you feel that's smart to do that and to blow up and just jump into a career? Or is it important to have those three, five years where you have the time to find yourself and you're struggling to find yourself, but that's okay because in the end it helps you to find the true artists that you are. Yeah. This is a tough question. Um, because, um, I mean, dude, have you ever met a musician who makes really good music that doesn't struggle with something? I mean, like for me, I still struggle all the time me mentally, I struggle. Um, there's just so many challenges in this thing. So I don't know many, I don't know many artists that without that struggle make good music to me personally, that speaks to me, but at the same time, like we have to use our tools that are available to us. So it's like, um, but, but man, there's just, there's so many people that have had those one hit things that they got lucky Yeah, and it's really hard to follow through. That's why, I mean, like I would prefer the slow climb, like, like somebody like an Eric church or an Ashley McBride who built. And the other thing too, is you can't being good at TikTok doesn't mean you can hold a live crowd. It just doesn't. It, yeah. That is so different. Cause in TikTok, you can, you, you have, you could take a hundred takes the live crowd. You've got to have that energy to be able to, to win them over for an hour right yeah uh, or more and so those are two very different things but at the same time i don't fault the tiktok people because it's where the attention's at right now and yeah i mean dude if i would if i could go viral on tiktok right now i'd love it because i want people to hear my music you know what i'm saying so i, I try to take a nuanced approach with that i used to, i would have said like a year ago i freaking hate tiktok i wanted to die i would have said that <laughs> and so within this career you have done it yourself you have been an independent artist who has really pushed forward in getting your music out there on your own and so what has it been like to sort of be a business manager and treat this career as a business and not just sort of float along and hope that people hear your music, but actually get down to it and make it a business. Has that been an important part of this journey for you? Hmm. It has. Um, and I think that that kind of comes from my personality is kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of an all or nothing person. So if I'm like really set on, I'm going to do music and I've got to get it out to the world like I'll do the crap, I'll do the crappy stuff that other people aren't willing to do to get ahead so that I can keep doing this right. because there's, you know, um, it all to me starts with the music. If this was about 
this is a terrible industry to get in it for money. I mean, just just the dumbest industry to get in. in there's so many easier ways to make money. I always say, yeah. Um, so if it, I think it would be hard to have that drive if there wasn't the music motivating you. Um, which it continues to. I mean, even still today, I've written like 400 songs and. Even, you know, the next one's going to get me excited. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's just the way it is. And, but, but as far as the, the business side of it goes, that's super important because the quicker you can get that together and understand that the, I think what happened to me was you, you start and you think that everyone's thinking about this like you and, and they aren't. They, they're, everybody in Nashville, is they're they're in this for the business like they do love the music but like make no mistake like the end goal is that, that we're making a living here right yeah and so i think at the beginning i made the mistake oftentimes probably trusting people that i shouldn't have etc cetera, etc cetera, thinking we had the same goals and dreams and come to find out you know it was a money grab or right. whatever yeah that type of thing happens too and so but honestly, it's similar to what you said. That struggle is okay. And like getting beat up by a, a few sharks is okay. As long as they don't like steal everything you own, <laughs> just, just get through it. You know, it's, it's normal. And it's part of the experience, I think, and growing process of it. And the mental side of this game, of this career, how have you managed that and getting through that and being confident within it? and sort of overcoming those feelings of self-doubt and negativity. I mean, I, they pro you probably can't totally get away from it, but how do you manage that on a day-to-day -day basis within this career? Oh, man. Well, I used to do it horribly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I used to do it really, really horribly. You, um, I have a friend who I used to call, and they, they always used to have to talk me off a cliff, um, a metaphorical cliff. But yeah. um yeah uh I think it's it would help people to know at the very beginning that this takes a long time regardless of how good you are and it would help people to know that nothing makes sense there's no logic there's no um science to this there's so many factors about why someone gets signed or why someone um blows up on TikTok or why or why anything um but I think what's kind of helped me a lot is to slow down and realize that my journey is my journey and it, and I'm not weird if this takes me longer um, than whoever it is. But dude, we live in such a bad culture and here's what I mean. <laughs> like everybody's a brand. That is so crazy. Yeah. We live in the freaking weirdest time ever where it's like you got 12 year olds getting brand deals and taking selfies and they're, we're all self-obsessed and like part part of that is like so unhealthy so unhealthy because um on the internet we have filters we have editing we have um really it's just a huge performance so yeah. i think that really it's not just music i'm talking about all people, especially young people who don't really know how to deal with this stuff yet. Um, gosh, man, it's hard that you're, 
not only are you expected to be a personal brand now, like it's weird if you aren't like you're the outcast. It's like, yeah, no, I just have a normal freaking life. And what do you mean? You're not trying to get a brand deal and be a YouTuber or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, we live in strange times, man. Everything about this is weird. And, and the only people really pointing that out is like comedians. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Just calling it out for what it is. And it's anyways. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day and I sort of mentioned that it feels like now within the music industry for a label to take notice you need a thing. You need to blow up on TikTok. You need to be on a reality show. You need to have something, a thing to you for a label to take notice. Is that sort of the way this is going? That's a great question. Um, at some level, I think it's always been that, but it's, it's changed throughout the years. So like it used to be YouTube, like they would look who was popping on YouTube. Right. Think of times when you know when Justin Bieber was coming up like they would be like who who's popping on YouTube and then it was like who's popping on Facebook or Instagram it's it's moved throughout the years um but but I and, and honestly it was probably the same back in the day like I I could imagine influential people finding somebody they believe in and then that creating a buzz and that was their version of social media back then right so I think it's always been that, but I think it's helpful for artists to know and to really believe you, you can actually make a living at this by yourself completely. Like you really can. And right. but it does take, does take a lot, obviously like yeah. a big, a big toll. But once again, if you're in this for the fame, it's not going to work for you. If you're in this for the love of the music, you'll do some crazy things to make this work. Yeah. yeah. And within the music, let's talk about your music. So October of last year, you released Clocks Roll Forward. Now that was an album that was two or so years in the making because of the pandemic and everything that happened. And now only, what are we, six months later or so, you have a new EP that's about to come out. Now, what was the thought after having sort of two years of putting together an album? Was it important for you to come back like right away and not give it another year or two of putting together material for a new album, but to get something out there right away for the fans? Yeah, so I, I just get excited about stuff. And so I start making things move. So right. like... So like we put we put that we put that out and I came up with the idea of, of a tale of seven cities and I was starting to get people around me excited about it. And um, so, dude, like I said, all or nothing. Right. So I just <laughs> just jumped in and we just started that thing and finished it really quick. Um, very, very different process than clocks roll forward. Um I like both ways. I like being able to sit on something too. I, I, I understand the value in that. Like if you still like something six months after it being finished, that's a good sign. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause like in the past, you know, sometimes I've let a song out and be like two weeks later, man, I hate that. I want that off, you know, like, so <laughs> it's good to, it's good to make sure that you're happy with everything. And um, yeah, but yeah, man, that it's been a joy. I've been working with my friend, uh, co-producing it with him, the Tale of Seven Cities record. Oh, okay. 
And um, we did most of it at his house, which was really, it's been really, really cool. It's, it's a way different vibe because like, you're not, there's no pressure of like the big time studio. Um, pressure meaning like it costs a lot of money. Yeah. So you've got to get this role. You've got to be on track and all of that. This is way more like, let's follow the, the muse and see where we go. Right. Fun. And this, the tale of seven cities, it has the jazz influence within it. I really feel that within this record. Is that something that you saw right off the start of where you wanted to take this or did it sort of go that way as you began creating? Okay, so so I feel like all the best things happen naturally and I was gifted a piano by my aunt. Um, shout out Aunt Mary. Uh, she, I, I got it delivered from Cincinnati to my place during the, like kind of mid pandemic I guess a few months into the pandemic had the had the movers come in and um so I had a piano for the first time at my house in like years so okay I like wouldn't leave that thing alone so it was just kind of natural like I would get on there I'd find something I liked and I would start singing a random melody to it and um find stuff I liked so it was just kind of a natural progression of I always try to make things I always say that I try to follow whatever the, the thing that ticks inside you that says, I like this or I don't like it. That's like all I try to follow. So well, yeah, there's definite jazz influences, especially a song like um, how's the view in New York city. Like yeah. there's a, what us nerds call major seven chords and nine chords and Billy Joel type things. And I told you, I grew up on Billy Joel. So I, I, I always wondered what would it be like if you merged those two worlds a little bit? Um, right. And kind of what I came up with. <laughs> right. And it's funny, Cold Day in Tuscan. When I first listened to that song, I got like huge Michael Buble vibes yeah. from that yeah. song. I love Michael Buble. He's great. Yeah, there's a lot. I, what I love about this project coming out is each city really does have its own sonic identity. Right. Yeah. And there's one that's about to be released a week from Friday called Miss Me Memphis. And it feels like you're in Memphis. You just feel, you know, and then the New York City one, too. Like I'm I when I'm sonically, you picture yourself there and I cold day in Tucson. I feel like I'm in the desert when I'm listening to that, like driving across the desert. So it's just little things like that that I think are really cool because it's similar to a Zach Brown band record. There's not like a complete um similarity and sonic identity from each song so like right. they're all different so if you listen to like uncaged there's like a reggae song on there or if you listen to jekyll and hyde by zach brown band they've got like i think it's called the mango tree song and um that's like a big band jazz song you know right. what i'm saying I value i just value just following whatever you like and just doing it that's that's where all this has come from. So, right. Yeah. And now I just have to correct myself. I think I said cold day in Tuscan, but it's cold day in Tucson. I just wanted yeah, to correct oh, that. So I didn't feel like an idiot. <laughs> oh, good. And so with this album, I know that your mom has mentioned in the past that she was hoping that you'd build the trombone into your act and be able to play it on stage as part of your act. So in this album being more jazz inspired, were you able to work in the trombone at all? Nope. Um, and here's and here's why I picked it up after like years 
and I suck. I'm terrible. (laughs) Golly, I used to be so good at this stupid instrument. And like, I don't know what it is about my, I do have big lips. And actually Shelby, my wife, uh, played French horn. So she brought her horn out and I brought my trombone out. And she was actually pretty decent still at hers. And I, dude, I could barely make a a noise. I was like, what is happening? Like, if you would have heard me back in high school, you know, I was like, pro, I was great. I was right. really good. But anyways, no, maybe, maybe someday. I feel like I'll, ha- I'll feel like I'll have to pay for lessons for someone to train me to get back to where I was. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now you mentioned your wife. Tell me a bit more about her and sort of what she has meant for this journey. Would you be here? Would you be in music if it wasn't for her? Definitely not. Um, I would have quit, I think. Um, she, my wife is amazing. Anyone that meets her, she is one of the sweetest and most likable people that you'll ever meet. She's a special ed teacher and she's really gifted for that. I think I would be so bad at that job. It would be hysterical and she's just made for it. And she's, she's just like, she's just a, a breath of fresh air and, and lights up every room. She's just that, she's that type of person. Um, and you know, so many times she's been there for me when I was at my lowest points during this journey. Like we said, there's, I mean, for a long time, I struggled with anxiety big time and it was just like something I could never, I couldn't get control over. And she was always just there. Right. Um, and sometimes you know, they tell people if you if you're dealing with a loved one who's got some mental issues going on, um, not trying to fix them and just being there is almost some of the best things you can do. Um, so she really helped me through some some dark times. I mean, man, I was just going through the ringer. I was working seven days a week, like 12, 16 hour days trying to make this thing work. It would would drive to North Dakota on a Tuesday, play for one person for four hours and they didn't clap once. It's just hard. A lot of this is hard, bro. Like, and so having somebody who's pretty, she's, she's way more even keel than me. I'm just like, you know, right. it is what it is. And um, so she's been great, man. And I saw you say one time, if I could sell something I didn't like, I'd be rich already. And so how important is it for you within this journey to stay authentic, even if it's the slower path to where you want to go? I would say the, my, that is the core of who I am. That's what I would say. I would say that there's nothing more important to me than that. Um, and, and that saying that I say, I say, if I could sell something I didn't like, I'd be rich is very true. Um, but I suck at it. Like no one believes it because <laughs> right, I, yeah. I like it. Like, I wish I could. Well, I don't know. Maybe I don't. I, I enjoy what I'm doing now. So um, it's been a it's been a very important because because I've taken risks along the way. Like you can say House of You in New York City is a good song, but that's a risk that's out there from what I've done. That's very, yeah. very different. Like I'm throwing jazz chords into country music. It's that's different, you know, Um but but that's always I just try to I've been very inspired by people like the Beatles, who um, if you listen to some interviews, they they don't really 
over edit their songs or think about them that much. Right. They, they would follow the internal, what we call the muse in the industry, but they would follow the muse and wherever it went, they would let it land and, and see what, see what stuck. And that's what I do. Like, I feel like I'm constantly throwing melodies, music ideas at the wall to see what sticks and what feels right. So, right. And so over the past few years, you have definitely been one to constantly put up music. There's not too long of a span where we don't see at least a single from you. And so with this album, with it being different from what we've heard from you before, is it going to be something that sticks around for a bit? Or are you already thinking about the next project that'll maybe bring us back more into what we know of you from the past? So <laughs> I'm almost, I'm almost done with the next one already. <laughs> um, I'm basically what I found out is I'm basically obsessed with making music. <laughs> right. I, just, I just, I just like it, man. I don't know. I just do what I like to do and, and almost done with, almost done with that. And that is going to be more towards, it's still going to be like, I'm always going to be some form of left of center. Like, I'm never going to have like fake drums or I'm never going to have like synths or things like that. Like right. I'm always going to be slightly, I always value it being different. So I hope when people listen to my records that they see like, Oh, this guy has unique sound that is unique to him. And that's like, I've told you from the start, you know, I, va- I really value authenticity and, and being that way. So um i'm really excited for this one i think it's some it's probably my best stuff yet but uh, every artist says that and the fans will decide we'll see right yeah (laughs) and so the tale of seven cities are you going to be releasing most of the singles before the full ep or will you mentioned we have another single coming soon and then will the ep follow that i think that's probably the last one yeah um we maybe one more if they convince me to squeak one out but um i don't know man i that's the battle these days it's like you you're kind of battling algorithms now yeah and and oftentimes if you release everything all at once um so many of the songs on the record that do deserve love don't get the love that they should get right yeah Um, But then, but then there's the other thing where it's just like, if you release it, if you release too many, people aren't excited about your album. So it's, you know, pick your poison. Thank you once again so much for joining us. And thank you to Raleigh for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his newest singles and the full EP, The Tale of Seven Cities, when it is released. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music